Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Katherine Rickmeyer, the host of Weld Recruiting's Women in Web3 podcast. Today, I'm joined by a good friend in the Nashville Web3 community, Lincoln Murr, who serves as the Blockchain Product Manager for Prescriptive Health. Lincoln, thanks so much for joining. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, Lincoln, tell us about Prescriptive. Yeah, so Prescriptive is a, a healthcare company. Um, whose main goal, as I say, is to rewrite the script. Basically what that means is empowering uh, individuals with their healthcare information, specifically related to prescriptions, and giving them essentially a digital medicine cabinet where they can access uh, their prescription and other health-related info all in one sort of um, blockchain-enabled application. And so is there anything that exists like this in the Web2 world? So I guess the closest example would be something... um, Gosh, like, uh, well, I guess the traditional um, prescription sending mechanisms. So, you know, right now you go to your doctor, your doctor says, where do you want to send this script to? And then they send it to Walgreens, say, for example. Um, But with prescriptive, uh, instead, it would be sent to your phone and you would be the digital owner of that prescription. Um, So by doing that, it's, you know, follows the web three tenants of both decentralization and data ownership. There's not anything right now that I know of that I can see all of my current prescriptions on my phone right now, at least in the Web2 space. Like, you're right. If I were to do that, I would have to call Walgreens or my doctor's office or my, like, CVS to, like, see everything that I have been on and, like, what I've been on in the past, which is kind of crazy to think that I don't yeah, have Yeah, exactly. That. And it's siloed per pharmacy, too. So your Walgreens ones are, you know, just on the Walgreens app and the CVS ones are just on the CVS app. And there's really no... Um, one conglomerated spot where all of that can be interoperable. Um, and how are you guys, is NFTs making this possible? Are these like prescription, is this healthcare, is this empowered through NFTs or what's the actual back end of this? Yes, exactly. So prescription NFTs, um, all done on a permission chain as opposed to a public one like Ethereum because you are dealing with healthcare information. But yes, the idea is to basically take the prescription and make it an NFT, and then you get all of the you know benefits of uh, data ownership, uh, easy transfer transferability, fraud resistance, which is great for uh, prescriptions, obviously. And what would be required of like doctors' offices and pharmacies in order to integrate and have that interoperability? Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of it. Is you know, in, in Web three, I think one of the biggest issues today is that there's. It's so difficult still to get uh, anybody onboarded or using the platform. I think until my grandmother's able to use something, there's really no real value in it. There's no real possibility for that to blow up. Um, with prescriptive, it's all sort of based on the back end. So doctors would notice no real difference in their day-to-day prescribing. Oh, awesome. And so uh, would a doctor just have to log that into, would they have to log it in? Like walk me through how it would work. Yeah, definitely. So um Right now, you know, they they prescribe it and they send it over to Walgreens. Instead, they could just send it straight to Prescriptive, and from there it'll be handled. Uh, The NFT will be sent to its rightful owner, um, and all of that is handled through, like, the current sort of available rails. Okay, and then that owner would say, hey, I want it filled at Costco. I want it filled at Walgreens. I want it filled at CVS. Yes, exactly. There's, like, a uh, there's an app that could go on and see all the available pharmacies near them, what that prescription may cost in any given spot, how far it is from them, et cetera. Oh, cool. So the tr- cost transparency as well. Yes, exactly. Um, one question I do have is um, thinking about uh, I take ADHD medicine, and I don't know if you know, but there's been a shortage of ADHD medicine um, in the market. And so me, as well as a ton of friends that I have, 
um, have struggled to, you know, they're like, oh, this pharmacy is out, take it to this pharmacy. Would this app have a, the capability to show people like, hey, it is available at this pharmacy for a scenario like that? Yeah, I don't think that's uh, currently available, but that'd be a great feature to add. I don't see why it couldn't be. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and in addition to your role at Prescriptive, you're actually a student at Vanderbilt University um, and the head of Vanderbilt Blockchain Club. Tell me about that. Yes, yes. So I founded Vanderbilt Blockchain uh, in the fall of 2021. And its goal is really to just be like the Web3 hub of Nashville and get a place for students and people in the Nashville community to meet, talk about cryptocurrencies and blockchain and get exposed to something that they don't really have the ability to in class. Um, so we have two main things that we've been doing over the past couple of years. We have a development committee where we're teaching students Solidity, the programming language for Ethereum and helping them find hackathons and internships and whatnot. We also have an investment committee where we uh, use set protocol on Ethereum to create sort of like a Vanderbilt blockchain index of projects that we like um, that's publicly available for anyone to invest into without fees. Um, other than that, we do host speaker events as well. We've had people from Binance. We've had a uh, developer of Ethereum who helped work on the merge, um, as well as people from Ripple, Ripple Labs, and many more. And how many people are a part of Vanderbilt blockchain right now? Yes, yeah, so we've got about... 50 people spread between the two committees and usually around 100 or so show up to our uh, monthly speaker series. Awesome. And how did you get into blockchain? Yeah, so funnily enough, it was actually my grandma who uh, introduced it to Wait, me. Wait, what? Yeah, yes. Um, over at her house one day and she mentioned that my uncle had gotten into cryptocurrencies and that was back in April or so of 2017, uh, right when I had my first bank account. I was like, oh, perfect. I was looking for something to buy. Might as well get into cryptocurrencies. So uh, yeah, early 2017, so that was a great time to get started with my lawn mowing money. But, um, you know, watch the prices go all the way up in 2017 or December 2017 and all the way back down. So it was a wild ride, and I enjoyed it so much. I just stuck around, learned about the technology, and, uh, yeah, I just kept going from there. So, wait, does Grandma own cryptocurrency? No, she does not. She was just the impetus for it. Okay, she was just the messenger. Yes, exactly. Okay, so now does she know about, like, that you've started now the, you know, blockchain club and are, like, working? So she was the impetus for all of this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what, do you have a startup um, as well? Yes, so um, doing, I've done a couple of different projects in this space, but the main one now is called Varsity. And uh, the idea there is that um, there's a lot of students who want to break into the entrepreneurship space and the startup space. And a lot of times schools don't really have the resources to cater directly to that. Yes, there's business. Yes, there's finance. But there's not really something where they can learn the startup environment. So what it does is uh, on this website, it's sort of a platform or a marketplace for students to uh, share their experience by working at a startup and doing work for them. For example, working on a pitch deck, doing competitor analysis, et cetera, all the things that are needed to start by a startup that startups need done but may not necessarily want to put in the time themselves to do. So it's a win-win because the students get paid, they get to learn, and the startups get uh, more experience working or more experience getting their things done um, and working with students for internships. Uh, the Web3 aspect of that is to sort of have a, um, right now the idea is to some sort of NFT integration so students can have badges and be verified and show for the rest of their career that they have gone through this sort of varsity track and have experience doing a lot of different things. And so is varsity just open to Vanderbilt students or is it open to all students? 
So right now it's still in the building phase, um, very much proof of concept, but the idea is for it to be open to everybody. Um, the more the better, especially when you have a diverse group of people across several different schools who can share their experiences, share uh, opportunities and whatnot. And I know that you mentioned earlier, uh, your grandma inspired you to get into the blockchain space, which is probably the best uh, story of how somebody got into Web3 that I've heard. Um, I think you take the cake. Uh, but what you obviously started out in crypto, um, but there's so many more use cases. What do you think the biggest misconception is about Web3 and blockchain technologies? I think the big one comes in the uh, in the NFT space specifically. I feel like they have such a bad reputation now as just, you know, profile pictures or collections that have no real value, kind of like digital beanie babies. But the technology itself has so much more to it. The idea that you can truly digitally own any item now is incredible. Um, I really do think in the future we'll see things like digital identities um, where you can, you know, have something as secure as a driver's license on your phone or... Uh, that you know, is what I really want. I'm waiting. I have my Apple wallet on my phone. I have, you know, my car insurance. I need us to get the uh, driver's license um, in Tennessee. And honestly, basically, if we could just take my Apple wallet, add the driver's license, and then make it all secure through Web3 technology, I'd be a really happy camper. Yeah, the technology's there. It's just the you know, government's move slowly, I guess. Um. Yeah, no, I know several states um, have it, but I don't think any of the states right now are using, are backing it up with NFTs, if that makes sense. Because essentially, even with um, my like car insurance card right now, um, I digitally have it in my wallet. I can show it, you know, if I get pulled over, knock on wood. Uh, but it's not secured through, um, you know, uh web three technology. So if there was a way that I could do that with my credit cards and my car insurance, and then while we're at it, let's just do the license thing. That would be great. Yeah. And you know, one of the big issues there too, is that all of these current solutions are essentially centralized, meaning that, you know, if there were to be some sort of hacker breach, there's a possibility that your data could be stolen. However, if you have a digital driver's license that's issued as an NFT on, let's say Ethereum, the only way anyone could ever take that from you or pretend to be used if they either you know stole your private key or were able to hack the Ethereum blockchain, which is impossible. That's my next question. So, um, in making uh, Web three accessible and letting your grandma, who's you know ahead of her time, uh, use Web three technology, uh, one of the things I think about is like losing the key. Like, let's be real. It's probably going to happen, and I feel like for most Web2 users, how many times have I forgotten my password on stuff, et cetera? What do you think is going to be the solution to that? Obviously, that key offers, um, you know, an unparalleled level of security, but is it really functional and practical for all people? I don't really think so. What do you think the solution is going to be there? I think it's going to be this thing called account abstraction, which has been around for years, uh, specifically on the near blockchain, and was just actually recently introduced to Ethereum. So basically what it allows for is your wallet can be a smart contract. And what that means is that you can add so many different features to it, um, whether that be simply password protecting it um, or having multiple private keys that could work. So you could have a backup, you could have your wallet set up such that Every time you make a transaction, you and one other of these keys, maybe give it to a friend, has to confirm it. Um, you can also add in base account recovery features. So maybe, you know, a bank would be willing to be the custodian of that main private key. And uh, 
anytime you make a massive transaction, you have to go to them to get it approved. Or if you lose your key, you can go back to them to get a new one. Um, but yeah, I think the uh, account abstraction, the ability to essentially turn your uh, wallet into a smart wallet is going to add a lot of really interesting features that could hopefully help this issue. How far out is prescriptive uh, from being, um, you know, offered to the mass public? Yeah, so you could uh, go into a pharmacy right now or a doctor's office and get your prescription sent through prescriptive. Um, so it, it is a fully working at this moment. And what is the cost for the consumer? The cost for the consumer is just the same as it would be for um, any other uh, pharmacy. So zero. Oh, wow. So it doesn't cost me anything to have prescriptive? Correct. Yes, it just routes it through just like it would with uh, Walgreens or CVS or anywhere else. My next question to you is how does, how does prescriptive make money? Yes. So prescriptive on the back end is a PBM pharmacy benefit manager. So they're the ones who are negotiating deals between uh, a corporation that has health insurance and um, a pharmacy. So the big one right now is Optum that's owned by United Healthcare. So that's kind of a conflict of interest. So by prescriptive not being owned by any sort of major insurance company, um, they are able to, you know, be more thoughtful and caring about both sides of it and not have a conflict of interest in that regard. So Prescriptive does is able to um, you know make money that way as a PBM and as well the idea with a blockchain is that eventually possibly when you have transactions sent those transactions cost a fee maybe that fee will go to Prescriptive maybe it will go to the um, participants of the chain but there's a lot of different models and so for those out there who aren't um, Web three users they could download the Prescriptive app just like any other Web two app correct and they would have to have no knowledge of Web3, essentially. Yes. Um, and does Prescriptive offer, like, could I get, like, a card, like, talking about Apple wallets, can I have a Prescriptive card in my Apple wallet, like? I don't believe so. Um, I don't think so at the moment, but that could change. Okay. Um, and so, but it is fully accessible um, to uh, Web2 users um, without any Web3 knowledge or um, they don't have to create a wallet or anything like that. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, and what, like, what other projects, obviously you're working in healthcare right now, um, but just as an enthusiast and as somebody who's constantly learning and taking in information, what do you think um, are some of the projects that um, excite you the most right now? Yeah, I think, uh, well, one of the main pieces of technology that has excited me a lot recently is uh, zero knowledge proofs. So basically the idea is you can, prove that you know a secret without having to share that secret. And at first it seems very counterintuitive um, and it uses a lot of very heavy cryptography and complex math, but it allows for a lot of really cool things. Um, for example, this project called WorldCoin, which was actually also started by the uh, OpenAI CEO, Sam Altman. Um, the idea is that they have these really specialized cameras and they can go scan your iris and create just like a complex string, very long of like uh, letters and numbers just to hash and um, then delete your iData. And now you have this string that's irreversible. Nobody can ever get your data back, but you have a way to prove that you're a human online. Um, so especially with the rise of AI, uh, that technology specifically allows for proof of humanity on the internet, which so far has required you to go to a third party and give them your driver's license and a lot of other sensitive information. How do you think AI will be integrated uh, more so into uh, blockchain Web3 space? Yeah, so there's a really interesting company that I worked on for a project uh, called Modulus Labs, 
And what they basically do is they bring AI on chain. Um, the example that I was a developer for was a project called Lila versus the world, where there's a chess bot called Lila, and it was programmed inside of an Ethereum smart contract um, and published on chain so that essentially anyone could prove that if they're playing against this chess bot, uh, there is no fraud taking place. Everything is fully verifiable. Um, and, you know, by doing that, you can essentially have a very safe, in this case, betting market for these chess games. Um, I think the idea of bringing AI on chain for that verification is right now the main sort of role that I see it playing. But it also could be really interesting in other regards as well. Um, for example, you could have some sort of AI that is essentially eternal if it's public on chain and all of its data is there. Um, so whatever that may bring. What do you think the best method for those out there who are just getting into um, Web3, what's the best way to learn about it? Like, is there a certain platform that you like? Um, you know, what, what do you feel like is the Khan Academy of Web3? Yeah, there's a lot of different options, and it's really difficult, too, especially on social media where there's so much misinformation uh, specifically related to investing. Um, and since the cryptocurrency market is unregulated, people are constantly talking about projects and making stuff up, all with zero uh, consequence. So I would say the best places to go, um, I know Consensus, CEO, uh, Consensus with a Y, is a uh, Ethereum development company that's uh, spun off to do much more, but they also have a great boot camp. Um, other places to go, there's a lot of great uh, YouTube channels out there. Um, Coin Bureau is one that does a lot of just reports on different cryptocurrency coins and whatnot. Uh, and honestly, I think the best way is to probably just find somebody else in the space and get their recommendations because it is just a lot of filtering things out and finding good content. Um, but I don't know if there's necessarily one sort of Khan Academy just yet. That would be nice, though. Hey, Lincoln, that startup idea for you right there. Khan Academy <laughs> of Web3. The Murr Academy. <laughs> Um, now, for those who are more advanced um, and obviously in this space, how do you stay up to date? What are your favorite uh, Web3 blockchain news sources? Yeah, honestly, it's Twitter, which sounds counterintuitive, but um, I follow a lot of good people there. Um, a lot of people I've met at different blockchain conferences um, who end up writing content. I think that's also a great way to get started is uh, reading the white papers for different cryptocurrencies or projects and then um, writing your own you know, threads, papers, whatever, blog posts. Because then you not only have to learn the content, but you have to learn it well enough to bring it down to a concise paper and teach it to somebody else. Lincoln, you are speaking my language. As a journalist, I always tell people whenever I write on my Substack, I uh, will say after I finish writing the story, I'm like, I can probably pitch your company better than you can. Um, because if you have to write about it and boil it down into an article, you really learn it and can learn how to say it, you know, concisely um, and truly distill the value. Um, I always tell people I think that that is the best way um, to learn. And it really forces you to, like, think about it and ask the questions to ensure you actually understand it versus sometimes I feel like if we go to an event, we'll be like, oh, so-and-so told me about varsity and it does whatever. And we'll say not exactly what it does, but it's like, if I had to write a paper on varsity, you better believe I'm going to know it inside and out. Yes, absolutely. I fully agree. Writing's the best way. Um, and Lincoln, how much longer do you have to graduate? Because I think people out there are probably going to be um, astonished that you are doing all of this still while you are a student at Vanderbilt. Yes. Yeah. So I'm currently a junior. So I'll be graduating in May 2024. Um, 
with a degree in computer science and math. And I'm also pursuing a uh, accelerated master's degree. So I'll also graduate with a master's in computer science at the same time. Oh, cool. And so what do you, what do you plan on doing when you graduate? Yeah, at the moment, uh, probably still work at Prescriptive. That's the plan. I've been there for over, I think, about a year and a half now, and I've really enjoyed it. So I hope to continue to work there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. This is Lincoln Murr, who is a student at Vanderbilt University, the founder of Vanderbilt Blockchain Club, and the product manager at Prescriptive Health. Lincoln, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely.